Hi, everyone. I'm Tony Chen, and this is Fish and Bits, a business and data podcast on the world of seafood. Today, we're going to look into the quarterly financials of publicly traded salmon companies. If there's one word to describe the results that are coming out, it would be challenging. By my accounts, there's not been a single company that was able to report profitable results in all of their farming regions in the third quarter of this year. And there really isn't a singular reason that we can pinpoint into what is going on. There's a whole lot of macroeconomical trends, biological issues, and environmental challenges that are creating tough times for the businesses. In this episode, I'm going to break down a few things as I share how these companies operate. First, I'm going to share a brief overview of just how salmon farming works and what farmers are thinking as they grow their fish. Next, I'll break down how farmers make money some of the basic economic drivers of the industry, and why EBIT per kilogram is the most important metric to follow for these companies. Then, I'll go through the currently publicly traded companies, their results, and how they plan to address their challenges moving forward. I know that reading financial documents isn't too much fun, but I promise I'm going to try to make it as exciting as possible. Let's dive in. Let me start by giving a brief summary of how commercial salmon farming works and how a fish's life cycle goes from egg to harvest. A fun fact that I'm going to start with is that the two reasons we started raising salmon are that they have large eggs and that salmon can survive in fresh water. Compared to most fish, salmon eggs are quite large and robust, which means that we can find, collect, and handle them. As a result, it became an easy fish to breed and study in captivity. The second reason is that salmon can survive in freshwater, and anyone who has ever tried to manage a saltwater aquarium can probably tell you why that's a big deal. It's just less variables to deal with and much easier to manage. Not only are salmon easy to breed and raise in the early stages of life, but they also have the ability to gain weight fairly quickly once they reach saltwater. These are some of the reasons that led the salmon farming industry to become as profitable as they have. But back to how salmon farming works. The life cycle is largely broken into two phases, a freshwater and saltwater phase. For roughly the first year, farmers will raise their salmon from an egg into a small fingerling or smolt in freshwater tanks located on land. During this period, the fish will grow to about 100 grams, or just slightly larger than the size of your hand, as the animal prepares to enter smoltification which is when these juvenile salmon develop the ability to survive in salt water that follows the same process that wild salmon go through as they migrate out of rivers into the open ocean. Once the salmon are ready for salt water, farmers will then transfer them into net pens in the ocean, where they will spend the next year and a half as they grow to roughly 5 kilograms or roughly 10 pounds as they get ready for harvest. But just raising the fish doesn't mean that you can be a profitable farmer. There are variables that you need to be managed in order to make a profit. And the equation is extremely simple. It's the same for every business. And any kid who has run a lemonade stand can understand it. We need to be able to sell our fish for more than it costs us to raise them. That's how we'll keep the business afloat and enable a farm to continue growing. And the three factors that can impact the equation are the input costs, operational efficiency, and the sales of the farm. Let me explain a little bit on each of these categories. For salmon farming, the major input costs associated with running their farm are feed, labor, the smolt themselves, 
and the bolts, barges, and other operating equipment. The largest component of that cost, which are also the most variable of the inputs, as it's extremely dependent on the global supply of fish meal, fish oil, and other global commodities, is fish feed. The next impacting factor is the operational efficiency of the farm, which I would describe as how well the fish are growing. Some of the factors that can impact the business here are inefficient feeding, poorly growing animals, and mortalities. A number of outside variables, disease, parasites, jellyfish, and even marine heat waves could all have major impacts on this particular factor. The last impacting factor is just the cost of the finished product, and that's the sales price of the salmon. Salmon companies are competing with each other to sell their product across the entire world, and companies will offer different prices for their fish that correlate with consumer demand for the end product. If we simplify that total equation, what it comes out to be is that a farmer needs to make sure that the total cost of their inputs and what they lose operationally can be offset by the volume and price of their harvest. Simple, right? Well, the equation may be simple, but the way the variables can change is not as simple. In my previous episodes, I've shared how fish feed prices have changed 30% in the last two years. I've also discussed how diseases and sea lice can greatly impact the operational efficiency at farms. Add in the last factor that salmon sales prices can also fluctuate by 30 to 40% over a calendar year. And what you end up with is a simple equation that is constantly changing. The profitability of these companies can change without a moment's notice. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening across the salmon world. In this last quarter, we've seen a combination of higher feed costs, a rise in biological issues, and lower salmon prices. The key financial metric that reflects all of this is EBIT per kilogram. EBIT stands for earnings before interest and tax. But the simplest way to explain it is that it's basically how much money a company is making after you subtract out the costs needed to make the product. For the salmon companies, EBIT per kilogram is a great way to compare across many different salmon regions and accounts for all of the risks that I have mentioned. It describes how much money a farmer is making per kilogram of fish that they bring to harvest. So let's look into the EBIT per kilogram for some of the publicly traded companies and the patterns that they show. As I talk through some of these numbers, it's important to keep in mind that in salmon farming, the industry is fairly consolidated with some very large players. Outside of Chile, a large portion of all production is produced by these publicly traded companies. So their metrics are a good representation of what is happening across the industry at large. I've been looking into the reports of six total companies, four that are based in Norway, Muvi, Leroy, Salmar, and Grieg, one in Chile, Salmanes, Kempenchaka, and one in the Faroe Islands, Bacafrost. Together, they represent 21 separate regions that are managed by these companies, and seven of them reported negative EBIT per kilogram in this last quarter. That's right. Technically, a third of all the farming regions managed by these largely publicly traded companies reported losses, and there were clear patterns in the data. To start, no company was able to produce a successful result in Canada. Movie and Greek were both reported negative EBIT per kilogram figures. Scotland was pretty similar, where Bacafrost and Scottish Sea Farms both suffered losses, and Movie Scotland was just able to skirt by with a 0.63 knock EBIT per kilogram result. Another region that has been difficult is Chile, where Salmon Kampachaka has saw a negative result and movie reported a small 
0.48 NOC EBIT per kilogram result. In the other farming regions, Norway, Ireland, Iceland, and the Faroe Islands, the majority of the companies were able to make profits, but almost all were low by the standards that we've seen in the last few years. The best performing company was Salmar, which reported 25 and 33 EBIT per kilo figures. As a comparison, there have been entire calendar years when the companies have been able to produce EBIT per kilo numbers in the 20 knock range. This quarter, however, we only saw three of the 21 regions reach that mark. In these last few months, the farmers have seen a combination of factors that have put a real stranglehold on their ability to profitably run their businesses. On the consumer end, we've seen the price of salmon drop. The Peruvian anchovy fisheries shut down due to El Nino and put a dramatic increase on the cost of fish feed. And lastly, in the third quarter has been one of the toughest periods for fish health. Warm summer temperatures lead to challenges like sea lice outbreaks in Iceland, algae blooms in Canada, and ISA issues in Norway. Throw in a few new tax increases in the countries like Norway and the Faroe Islands, and the farmers see themselves getting squeezed from many different directions. So what will be the impact of this in the longer term? Well, to me, I think you have to keep in mind that while yes, it's been a tough quarter, this is not a death sentence to the industry or a sign that executives don't know what they're doing for their businesses. These businesses have been extremely successful in what they do, and overall, they've had many more record quarters than down ones. Farming of any kind has its ebbs and flows, and we've seen one of these periods when the numbers are just not as strong. That said, there will still be a response to the results that we're seeing. As publicly traded companies, these companies' shareholders are not just evaluating the company's performance against their peers, but also against the entire global market, and they don't ever like to see losses show up on the balance sheet. So let's discuss a few of the responses that we've already seen come from the companies and the reasons they're making some of these changes. I'll start with Greek Seafood, who reported losses in their Canada and Finnmark regions and a slight positive result in their Rogalon region. Andreas Kvam, their CEO, was quoted in their webcast that they are not satisfied with the results and would be turning over every stone in their regions to get back on track. In that same day, they made a huge announcement to break the seal on large-scale investments that have been put on hold due to Norway's new salmon farming tax and said that they are investing 1.1 billion knock, or roughly $100 million, to build a new pole smolt facility in their northern Norway region. Now, what's the reasoning behind this investment? Well, Greek is perhaps one of the most aggressive companies in their pursuit of limiting the time their fish are growing in the ocean. As I mentioned, it typically takes 18 months for the fish to be at sea before they reach market size. But if you transfer the fish when they are larger than 100 grams, then you could cut that time out and limit the exposure to many of the biological risks during the ocean phase. The company has already been testing much larger smolt, and this new facility is aimed to increase their capacity to do more of the same. Another strong response has been Bacafrost, the Faroe Islands-based farmer who suffered some significant losses in Scotland and a massive drop of 55% in their Faroe Islands operation. As a vertically integrated company, they've targeted their hatcheries as one of the major reasons for the challenges. Shortly after their financial results, the company renounced that they had entered an agreement to begin building a hatchery and smolt facility to support 500 gram smolt as part of their $900 million 
Yes, you heard that correctly. $900 million investment plan over the next four years. At the same time, however, the company also announced that it would be laying off 140 jobs on their value-added products division as the government has raised taxes on sales of salmon in the country. Now, this of course isn't a great look for the company. On one hand, they are investing almost a billion dollars to expand their capacity while slashing jobs in the 50,000-person island country on the other side. But the investments to improve their smolt won't pay off for many years, and the company is looking to make other short-term improvements on their financials. These are just a couple of the examples of the responses that we've seen from the companies. I know that much of what I've shared today hasn't been the most positive news, but I think it's extremely important to analyze the challenges that these companies are facing. It's during these moments and the decisions that follow them that will shape the industry for the future. And I'm a believer that they will help the industry grow in a much more sustainable way. And that's all for today, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this episode breaking down the third quarter financials in the salmon industry. If you've made it this far, you may be interested to go and download a full report on the earnings of the companies I've broken down in this episode. You can find a link on our website at manolinaqua.com. There's only so much I can talk about here, so you'll find a little more data and graphs there. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you.